Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is October the 16th, 2017, and this is episode 2100 of the Survival Podcast today. And uh, we're going to change things up a bit. I'm going to have Ben Fitz on today to talk about cryptocurrency and Crypto Gulch, which is the uh, new cryptocurrency mining service that will be open for business for new customers on the 24th of next week. And uh, as you'll hear today, it's going to be for a limited number of folks. I think he's going to take like 20 new customers uh, into Crypto Gulch uh, and grow slowly. And you'll hear about why in just a bit. But this show is actually pretty long. It's with intro and exit and all about two hours, which is about as long as TSP ever goes. And it's certainly not two hours on Crypto Gulch. It's two hours on cryptocurrency. And Ben and I kind of bouncing off of each other back and forth and talking about where we think crypto is going, what it's going to do, how it's going to do it, how it's going to impact governments, how governments are going to try to use it to their own ends, how they might actually be able to do that in a way that would be successful for them, how they'll do it in ways that won't work at all, um, investment opportunities, understanding splits. I mean, this is uh, this is a pretty amazing show, and it was done completely impromptu. The original plan was, I was going to have Ben on for 10 to 15 minutes today, just just so you'd know who this guy was I'd been talking about. And as I was getting ready to, to have him on, I thought, there's no way we can do this thing justice in 15 minutes. And I thought, you know, Ben's a switch-on guy. I've known Ben for almost 20 years, sometime in the late 90s, 97, 98, something like that. So we're talking like, you know, 20 years, 20 years I've known this guy. And I have worked with him on so many different things. And he has always been a technical expert that I knew I could rely on for certain things. And I've always been the guy that he could rely on for honest advice about business. Because I'm the guy that will say, that's stupid. You shouldn't do that. Um, or that's a really great idea, and here's some ways to tweak it. And uh, we've had just this great relationship over the past two decades. And, you know, this is an opportunity not just to talk about something, but for me to introduce you to One of my friends from business, one of my real friends from business, um, who I've, who, who's part of like the inner circle. There's a very, very short list of people that make the true Spirco inner circle, and Ben's one of them. So this should be enjoyable today, even if you want nothing to do with Crypto Gulch. And I would say even if you're not that big into cryptocurrency, it should still be valuable because you're going to hear a lot about things that are going to change the world, whether you want them to or not. All of that and more in just a bit. Before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is Safe Castle Royal, the original survival podcast sponsor. I have been working with Vic Rontala and Safe Castle Royal for eight years now. That's a long time. Um, you just think about the length of all of the sponsors here, but, you know, Safe Castle was the first sponsor. They were the first people to speak up and say, Jack, we want to sponsor the Survival Podcast. Uh, we want to be part of what you're doing. And we built the entire sponsorship program around them. They have an incredible lineup of items for your prepping needs. You can find out more at safecastle.com. And remember, they do give every single member of the MSB a free lifetime membership in the Safe Castle Discount Club. That alone is worth $49. Bucks. Next up today is Bob Wills Nursery. You know, 
I have hundreds of trees on my property from Bob Wells Nursery. Uh, I've been working with Bob now, I guess, going on three years, and uh, he does an amazing job providing really unique, rare, and innovative um, you know, edible plants for your, your, your projects, whether it's permaculture or just edible landscaping or, or what have you. No matter what it is, you can probably find it at Bob Wells, and uh, you should be checking out Bob Wells. You should remember that's another discount in the MSB. They pretty much will pay for your membership if you buy any number of plants every year. If you buy, you know, let's say 10, 15 plants a year at 10% off when you're talking plants that are, you know, 15 bucks, 20 bucks, 30 bucks, some of them 50 bucks. I mean, it, it starts to add up. And he's been a great supporter of the show as a sponsor, and he's been a great supporter of the MSB for quite a while. And another one of these people, and no one complains. I never get an email. I ordered something from Bob Wells, and it was wrong, and he said he wouldn't. It never happened. Not once. So check out Bob Wells Nursery at bobwellsnursery.com. And uh, it's probably a good time right now to start thinking about your, your, your fall, your winter, and early spring planning. It's really a good time to start looking through the website there and figuring out what you want to do going into next year. Next up, let's take a look at the year that was the uh, – well, it's not the year. I did that so long, I still say it once in a while. Uh, the, this year in history – and uh, the year is the year 65 this year. And we have two segments. I'll read one today and one on the next show. Nero Kills His Pregnant Wife, contributed by Southpaw Ben. Papia Sabina had enough of her husband spending too much of his time at the races and decided to confront Nero about it. The argument rages on, growing ever fiercer until finally Nero has had enough and lashes out, kicking his wife in the stomach. The kick causes her demise, or at least so claims Satunius, a historian from the 100s. Tactius also claims Nero kicked his wife, puts it at a different time, and said it was a spontaneous outburst. Others claim he leapt upon her belly, which caused her death, with debates over it, uh, if it was intended to do so or not. Still others claim he poisoned her. My take by Southpaw Ben. Uh, modern historians believe that Popea's death was merely an accident from complications with stillbirth or miscarriage. They cite the fact that all the historians who recount her death had an extreme bias against Nero. They also point out how Nero went into deep mourning after her death, gave her state and funeral and divine honors before embalming her in Egypt, Egyptian fashion and entombing her in a location unknown to modern historians. Nero allegedly burned a year's worth of Arabia's incense production at her funeral. Um, what is, as I look at the totality of things that we've heard about Emperor Nero at this point, like, was the guy a maniacal, my, maniacal you know, murderous, totalitarian asshole? Yeah, but I, I think all of the emperors were. The ones that were the good ones and the ones... Like, this is what emperors did. Um, I'm starting to wonder, as I look through the lens of history, how much of the you know evil Nero narrative is unique to Nero. And do I think that there might be uh, a rumor or just a complete false claim that he killed his wife to turn people against him? Well, they claimed that he burned down Rome and played his liar while he watched the city burn. He wasn't even there. He had nothing to do with it. And he was housing refugees in his own palace. So when I look at the totality now of what I've heard about Emperor Nero, and I've always just considered the guy a nut without really having anything to back it up, I've noticed something about him that I also noticed about Caligula and an emperor that we'll find out about in the future who's also known as, like, you know, this evil emperor dude, Commodus. 
they were all quite populists. They all seemed very concerned about the people and providing for the people and taking care of the people. And I'm not saying that they weren't evil bastards. I'm just saying maybe in the context of um, Roman emperors as a whole, not quite any more evil than any of the rest, but maybe their real sin was caring more about the people than the other elite. That might be the case because that does occasionally harm politicians, does it not? Just a thought. I'm not saying I'm right. I don't know enough to know if I'm right. But I kind of get a feeling that a populist emperor was not well received by the other Roman elites and that maybe this guy was somewhat of a populist. Anyway, with that, let's go ahead and get Ben on the air with us today. Again, Ben Fitz has uh, been a friend of mine for a very long time. Uh, we worked together on a lot of different things. I'm very excited to be at least somewhat involved with Crypto Gulch, and I'm very excited to have my friend on to talk about cryptocurrency in general. With that, hey, Ben, man, welcome to the show. Hey. Man, I'm, I'm glad to have you on today. You and I go back, man. My wife and I were talking. I think I met you online like not long after I met my wife. That's how long you and I have hung out. But I, I actually wanted to take you back to like the first time you and I ever met face-to-face. -face. I think it was in Boston. And, and to tell you how long ago that was, I, was I, I don't know why I remember this, but my phone was a Motorola Razor, and I had a Palm Pilot. Uh, I, can, I can tell you, like, it had to be, when the first time we met in person, it had to be just after I moved back to Boston. So it would have been around 2001, and you were in Providence. That's and, what it was, yep. And at the time, like, I had, the dot-com bubble had burst, so I was having a hard time getting uh, tech, technical jobs. And so I was doing, like, a crappy sales job just to make some money, like selling the Boston Globe newspaper on the phone. <laughs> and also learning sales skills, too, you know? So yeah. Like, I was selling the Boston Globe newspaper on the phone, and I, and I took a day off. To, I called in sick to go down to Providence and meet you. I am, I'm glad to have contributed to your delinquency. That's, that's great. I didn't, I didn't remember that. I did remember that I had a Palm Pilot and you were mocking me for it, but there wasn't a lot of other options. Well, I probably had a two-way pager, so... Yeah, you <laughs> did. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, the way we met was through several different things online with, with work and business. You By then, you'd done some programming for me and all. But along the way, as we've come, you know, you've done a lot of stuff for me. You've done, you did my member support brigade. You've done member sites for quite a few members of this audience. But somewhere along the way, you kind of took a look at the crypto world and went, this kind of makes sense. How did, how did, how and why did you get involved with cryptocurrency? Uh, good question. Um, some, somewhere in 2013, I started to hear Bitcoin more and more and, um, uh, you, I even started to see some references in like science fiction shows and at the same time I'm, so, I'm, I'm going to reveal what kind of a nerd I am I'm sorry audience <laughs> at the same time like I was, I was living off of my network marketing income right so I was trying to actually become an esports player and I was playing uh, on a uh, competitive World of Tanks team, <laughs> and, uh, and, and I mean, you know, we were doing okay, and, you know, we were streaming and stuff, but anyway, that was like my, that was my thing, and 
As a part of streaming and being in that gaming community, I started to be aware of not just Bitcoin, but some of the other currencies. And I, I started to learn about mining because some of these guys were using their gaming computers when they weren't gaming, they were using them to mine. And they were mining, they weren't even mining Bitcoin at that time. Bitcoin had already gone to ASIC at that time. They were mining like Dogecoin or Doggycoin or however you say it. You okay. Know? Um, you know, they were mining stuff like that. But, but anyway, that's when I really started to learn about mining and started getting into it more. I reached out to my business partner and said, you know, Chris, uh, have you heard of Bitcoin? And I want to punch him in the face because he said he knew about it for a year. <laughs> you know, and like, why didn't you say something a year ago, you know? So anyway, um, we got started in 2013 as part of our business. We actually got started, you know, and, and that was the first rise of Bitcoin up around $1,000. And it really started to get in the media and... Um, we did some cloud mining, so that kind of ties back into what we're doing at Crypto Gulch too, you know, because we did some cloud mining of another altcoin that I don't even think exists anymore called Paycoin, and that guy turned out to be a big scammer. The SEC actually recently, um, I, I think, I think they're in the process of resolving their case against the guy, um, where basically his cloud mining was a big Ponzi scheme. And he oversold the equipment. He didn't have nearly as much equipment as he claimed to have. And um, so that's one of the dangers of my business, as well as cloud mining, is you don't really know what they're doing on the back end. And especially if it's not going into your wallet, which is one of the things that we're doing different, is we're going to deposit it right into your wallet. It's not going into... We're not taking... We're not taking the funds out on a weekly basis and giving them to you or on a nightly basis. Um, There's no float. There's no float, right? It's it's a direct, you know, as it mines, it deposits. Right, and you can see the stats. You can see it mining. You can see if your rig has a problem or whatever. You see the stats of it mining for you, whereas these other companies, what they were doing was they had sort of a – they had sort of a stats, but but essentially the the fund was being funded by new customers coming on board and buying stuff. It wasn't really being funded by mining, and that's one of the differences in our system versus that system. Anyway, I probably got off track. And no, no, because where I was going is kind of like tell people like what made you decide you wanted to do this. Like, and you're kind of like halfway there with that, right? At that point, right? Well, so so what happened was. Um, I started mining myself um, on a small scale, and then um, last year, in the in the summer of last year, I was already mining, you know, myself with a couple of rigs, and I I realized that I could get parts. I, I discovered where to get some of these specialty parts from China from. And so then we started getting into the parts business with my business partner, Chris. And um, I made some mistakes in my own mining operation. I ended up selling. That was also when the Ethereum DAO hack happened and Ethereum crashed overnight. Um, and we can get into that more in the show. I don't, I don't mind telling people about my mistakes. It'll help them learn. Um, 
but so so we uh, eventually what we ended up doing was in January of this year we started mining again as a business and paying cash for all of our equipment so that way we didn't have to try and sell coins every month to pay our bills you know our credit card <laughs> we were able to hold the coins until it was most profitable to sell them and that was a huge change for us in our mining and made it really profitable because we weren't stretched too thin you know some of my customers for example they're what they're doing is they're putting it all on credit card and you know they have to um, swap the balances around on the cards and stuff like that to try and like minimize their payments and and you know if if the currency ever goes down they're really screwed because they still have to sell coin to make payments um, whereas if if you're just doing it with extra cash you have a lot more flexibility to sell the coin at the right time and not have to sell it to pay your bills. Because, I mean, that is a big part of this, right? Like, when you look at mining, I think people kind of look at it like, well, what's the coin worth the day that I mined it? And you really kind of have to look at it like actual mining. Let's say that you were mining gold or silver, and you got a little bit of gold or silver today, and today also the, the silver market price you know dropped by 20%. Unless you needed money, you just hold the silver until right. the price came to a point where it made sense to sell. Right. I mean, like, it, 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 and it's not just mining. I mean, it's the same if you're Being farming, paid. you know, and do you sell your grain at the same time that it's harvested when everybody's selling their grain really cheap? Or do you store it for a while and sell it when, you know, the prices go up? You know, I mean, it's the same in, in any business, and uh, I think people, um, that's, that is one thing that is important to realize. You know, we may say that right now, today, the one GPU is making $1.50 a day. You know, I mean, that price varies greatly. A couple months ago, it would make $2.50 a day, you know, but also, like, what's that coin worth? I mean, um, you know... Like you said, if, if if the coins keep going up in value, Ethereum's been up, you know, for the uh, for the last week or two. If you wait, you can make more profit. If you can wait a year, you know, what's it what's it worth? And there's a reverse play with that too, right? So like, if let's say you're mining Zcash or Dash or whatever, it doesn't even matter. And let's say that it it remains, it, it stays steady and it doesn't really drop, but Ethereum drops. Well, you know, change, lease, shape, shift, whatever, and, and that might be a time to actually make your conversion, which is selling, but it's probably not the way people think of selling when you're selling for cash, right? So, like, those are opportunities, too, and I think that, like, that's kind of what I wanted to point out with having you on the air today. Like, people are asking me a lot of questions about crypto gold and whether they should get involved and all, and I'm like, some of you, if, and I don't mean it insulting, right, but if you're asking certain questions, the answer is no, you shouldn't get involved because you don't know enough about how crypto works yet to be comfortable in a position where you, we were talking about this off air before we got on right you literally are mining you have to look at it like mining like if you bought a mine and you sent guys in there with picks and shovels they're going to come out with a different amount on any given day and then the price of that commodity will fluctuate on any given day so you have to think of it very entrepreneurial yeah yeah no I, I totally agree with you I think you know, we, we we raised the we raised the entry price into Crypto Gulch. Um, if you haven't, if you aren't aware, we raised the entry price to two thousand dollars, 
when we were originally talking about it, you know, we talked about maybe having an entry price as low as 750. And I mean, th there's multiple reasons why we raised the price. One is because all the equipment and all of the time it takes to set everything up is is heavily weighted on the front end. Um, so $750 price just wouldn't have covered, you know, the equipment and um, but also it's also meant to discourage customers. And I'm sorry to say that, but if you have $500 and you want to get involved in crypto, you should not be buying a mining rig. You should go spend $100 or $200 of your 500 and buy some crypto and play with it and make some mistakes with it and then, you know, learn from your mistakes. You know, that's the best way to learn. I mean, you know, I didn't get started mining uh, at least not on not to any scale for until I was involved for a couple of years. You know, I, I would turn my home computer on mining, you know, and stuff like that. Well, I wasn't really making any money, but I would I would play around with that stuff at first. Um, I had to learn a lot, and the same with spending crypto. You don't even know what a wallet is. You know, um, you might want to try and educate yourself a, a little bit on that. I mean, that education is going to be valuable. Yeah, I mean, when you came to me and said, would you be like guinea pig customer number one? I'm like, sure. And part of what it made it easy to do is I took returns from my investing in Bitcoin and Ethereum over the last four years and used some of it to invest in mining. And if you've, you know, if you've done well, not, not that it was hard, uh, if you had patience, that's all you really needed, man. If you picked up some Bitcoin and some Ethereum a few years ago and just waited, I mean, it was pretty easy to do. But when you have that type of you know time in the industry, I guess is the way to look at it, then you understand what mining is and what the advantages are. I think one of the things we should talk about is kind of can you give people kind of the list of what if I pay you two grand? One of the important things for the person to understand, like I, I buy this equipment, it sits in your facility, it works for me, but it's mine. I own it, which is a big thing that protects you from the Ponzi scheme crap like you were talking about earlier. What is that equipment? Because people, we started out with just it's a couple of GPUs. Well, now it's two GPUs and what else? Yeah, so that's a good point. So, so the starter kit, as we call it, is um, first of all, it's it's a motherboard, and the motherboard is the main part that all of the other components of your computer plug into, and it can support up to six GPUs. It's made specifically for mining and it can support up to six GPUs. So even though you're only filling it with two GPUs right now, it's real easy for us to add and expand to that for those of you that want to keep reinvesting in your equipment. Um, so the motherboard, the processor, the RAM, um, we typically don't use hard drives. We typically run it off of um, a USB stick, but we could also run um, the software the vendor will actually send us the software on an SSD if we want instead of a USB stick. I just burn them to USB sticks myself to save time. Um, there are the two GPUs. There are two power supplies, or, you know, we also could have just one big server power supply for this unit. But typically, the, these computers use a lot more power than your average home computer does. So we typically run a couple power supplies. Also, you know, there's some redundancy there, but but mainly um, it's cheaper to buy two medium 
size power supplies usually than one big one. So that helps cost-wise for you and, and for me both. Um, and then there's a couple other special adapters and components we use to connect everything. It also has to go in some sort of case or frame or something. We typically don't mine with these things in cases because they throw off so much heat that um, it it's it's difficult to keep the cooling because you also have to keep like all the cables clear in a case so that the airflow in the case is still good. You know what I mean? Yeah. So even if you put a bunch of fans in, but you've got a bunch of cables in the way, it blocks your airflow. So that's just a real pain. And it's also expensive in, in the long run. So what we do is that there are people that build special mining frames, aluminum frames, that we um, build these on. And, you know, in my environment, I have a, I'll have a larger frame for you, which, is, which um, can maybe hold, hold two rigs. Um, but if you want one, you know, if you say to me that you want to get your equipment sent to you, I'll send you just a single unit frame, unless you have two rigs, and then I can send you a two rig frame, whatever. Um, but we have both single unit and two unit frames, and and that's you know that's an additional cost um, as well. I mean, those are not cheap um, to get those. But the but the thing is like. Now you have a motherboard, a CPU, you have two power supplies, you have RAM, you have a USB stick, you have the operating software, um, you have the aluminum frame, you have the specialty components, and then you have the two GPUs. All of that you own. So if you wanted to, you could have me uh, package this up and send this to you. By the way, some of you have already asked. Yes, we'll just sell them directly to you. That'll be through my parts business, though, um, minorparts.com, but we'll sell you the whole kit directly if you want. And you want to do it yourself, that, that's fine, too. Um, I, I don't, you know, this, is, this operation isn't going to be for everybody, so if you still want to get involved in mining, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to help you, you know, uh, I can help you with components or whatever you need. But so, so the two GPU kit is $2,000 for that whole computer. And then, you know, let's play this out, Jack, and let's say that everything goes bad, right? Sure. Well, now you have GPUs, you know, those, those can be sold to video gamers. Um, you have a computer, yeah, and I know it's a pretty high-end computer, but those computer components, they're not like like the motherboard and the power supplies. Those are not going to age. You know what I mean? They're not no, I understand. They're, the technology isn't going to become outdated. Now, the processor, we use an old processor in the computer, so you might want to put a new processor in it. But, you know, like, like when I had my Internet service provider in the 90s and we went out of business, you know, I, I literally took one of the servers and used it as my desktop computer for years, you know. So I mean, I still got I, I still got value out of it. And you could do the same thing in this environment. So you could sell off components and you could keep components and run a computer at your house, you know. Um, so I think, and and this is just my opinion, but I think it makes it a little bit less risky of an investment because of the hardware now. You as the customer have to decide whether or not I'm reliable and trustworthy. Yeah. yeah. 
and you have to decide whether or not I'm ripping you off and there really is, you know, hardware. <laughs> um, and, and I understand. I mean, I get you. Um, if it was my money, I would ask some of the same questions. You know, the way I look at that is, first of all, we like I said, we've known each other almost 20 years. And second of all, you know I would, I would hunt you down and kill you. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you actually told me that once. Uh, but no, in all seriousness, you know, I've worked with you for almost two decades. And, and everything you've ever promised to deliver, you've delivered. And, and my decision, like, I know I could call you up and say, look, build me this rig, and you'd build it for me and mail it to me. Hell, where you live, I could drive down and pick it up. I could stop by driving down to go hunting Friday and, and pick it up for me. The way I look at it is I'm investing in both the equipment and the future. And so what I mean by that is I know that at some point, maybe in the next month, maybe in the next six months, I don't know, there's going to be some coin that is going to make a hell of a lot of sense to mine. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I know when you decide that's going to make sense, you're going to go and do some configuration bullshit that I don't understand and make it available to everybody that's in your, your let's call it your mining farm, um, because you want them to have that ability because you're making your mainstay profit off of part use of their equipment, basically. That's how they're paying their fee. So if it's profitable, you want people mining it because you want profit, too, because I know you well enough to know you don't have a big problem. A lot of people out there want to make money, but they can't because they hate money. You don't have you like money just like I do. So the fact that like if that comes up, I'm not sitting here. With some, you know, KVM device across three rigs, trying to figure out how to configure that shit. All I gotta say is, Ben, is this thing worth mining? And if you say, yeah, well, can we mine? Yeah, okay, cool. Let's go mine that. And the fact that as I build out my equipment, that I have that, you know, that ability in the future. I've got a team basically that can, and also say, no, Jack, don't mind that shit. That's terrible. That's awful. You don't know what you're talking. I, I want to know that. I want to like because I know that if it's a bad coin to mine, you're not going to want to mine it either because it's bad for you too. If that all makes sense. Oh uh, no, it totally makes sense. I mean, right now, this is a, a very unprofitable time in mining um, because the coins' value have gone down. Um, so. But there will be really profitable times, and the really profitable times will be when it's important to know somebody or to, or to stay in touch. Like if you were mining at home, you would need to spend a certain number of hours a week doing research, you know, because you need to stay up to date on what's coming, and um, you need to you need to uh, otherwise you fall behind, you know. So that's the advantage that we provide is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm plugged in to the community and I'm going to be even more plugged in. I'm going to start going to conferences and things like that, Texas Bitcoin conferences in a week and a half. And, um, you know, so that's, that's knowledge that you're getting. And when there is an opportunity to mine a, a new coin or, or, a coin that has been under the radar is suddenly becoming more popular and more valuable. Maybe they came out with some new technology or something. Um, then that's when we can make that change and we can help you make, you know, instead of $250 a day with a rig, you know, maybe, maybe it goes up to four or five. You know what I mean? Uh, not a day, excuse me, come on. <laughs> come on. That's, yeah, I was getting really excited. <laughs> Let's go get some of those rigs, $250 a day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can uh, do it, it's just it's a lot of money. And I think that, like, that's the other thing to look at. Like, So when I look at this, I don't look at it like investing, a straight investment. So if, that, if I want to buy some 
I don't know if I want to buy some Dash right now. I can move some Bitcoin over to uh, to Bitrix, which is the exchange I use, and I can just buy, and I have a fixed cost. And I know how that works. And that's that's a straight investment. I look at this much more like this is another business unit for me, because I do have the underlying asset value in that material. And while that material will depreciate, and by the way, it will depreciate quicker on paper than it will on reality. Uh, just saying from a tax standpoint. What I look at is, okay, if, what is a comparable thing where I could cash flow out of a business? So I've put money into businesses before and hadn't seen a dime for you know two years before I take a dime back. Whereas with mining, yes, it's a small amount, but it starts coming back every day right away. And if you look at the percentage yields on that, compare that to something like a treasury bond. Right? If you have reserve capital that you want to pull cash flow out of, as small as the return looks at this time, because it isn't the greatest time, um, compare that to you know, a treasury bond or a bank account or anything that's relatively sort of secure. The difference is the, the invested asset is 100% liquid there. Right, I can just get my cash out, maybe pay a penalty. I'd have to liquidate the equipment, but there is a liquidatable value underneath the investment, but yet the investment is cash flowing almost from day one. Yes. Yes, I'm, I'm with you. And... and I mean, if you look at even at low rates of returns like we have right now, um, it's it's a pretty good return on your investment, you know, compared to other investment vehicles that are out there right now, um, as long as the, the market doesn't go bad, you know. And I think, the, I mean, I think this technology is here to stay, but that's me. Um, I think we may see some coins fail. Oh, we will. There's no doubt. All of them fail. Yeah, no, they won't all fail, but there's no way. I think the majority of coins over time will fail as the winners sort themselves out. I think that they're going to have to offer something. Bitcoin first mover advantage. I see, I see Bitcoin becoming kind of the gold of crypto. Like, that's where you put your long-term money because you know it's stable, you know it's deflationary. And then these other cryptos have to compete on what they do other than replace money. So Ethereum has created something that lets people build tokens on their backbone, right? And they have a ton of value that they offer because of that. So every time one of these these companies does some sort of a token sale or something like that, you got to buy it with Ethereum. It's, it's kind of brilliant. Swarm City with SWAT, they've created this holistic ecosystem. I don't know if you know much about Swarm City, Ben, but like... The way that works is like if, if you go in once they get this next rendition of the software and you wanted to start up a business like uh, I don't know crypto mining right if you claim hashtag crypto miner or crypto mining or whatever you choose within Swarm City you own it like a domain name and you can build an entire marketplace within Swarm City but the only way you can pay for shit in Swarm City is with Swarm City tokens or SWAT right so that has a unique advantage and I think it's going to have to be the currencies. Like that, Dash came up with the masternode concept, so they can do almost instantaneous transactions. And if you want to, you can use coin mixing to remain completely private, or you can be public. It's up to you, and it's as easy as deciding how you want to do the transaction. So those are examples, and I'm not saying those are the ones to do, or they're the only, you know, Zcash, that we're, you and I are mining heavily right now, completely anonymous. I'm not saying to do just those, I'm just saying, like, it's going to be things like that. You can't just come up with a coin and invent it and expect that it'll do well, there has to be some compelling reason for people to say, long-term, there's a technological value to me in using this currency. 
I completely agree with you. Like the currency, as you said earlier, is just the token that sits on top of the technology. The technology behind it is what we really need to look at when you're looking at a coin and you're looking at an investment because right now especially it's really easy for someone to make a clone coin because the code is open source you know i can download the code for bitcoin search and replace bitcoin and replace with jack coin yeah yeah please please don't do jack coin no no i've been asked to do it a long time ago and i refuse definitely not but <laughs> but you know we can search and replace and i mean we can launch a new coin and there's a lot of them out there like that and there's there's just a marketing front in front of them and and they're just selling air you know and they don't care because they're going to make money before it crashes and and they know that you know so that's that's their goal they're turning yeah. burns that's all they are they turn them up they burn them out they turn them up they burn them out and exactly and and you know that there are people that will do that repetitively and they'll do it under a different name or whatever you know, and they'll just keep doing that, and and that's how they make their living. And they live in some non-extraditable country, and you know, Costa Rica, and and they just do that. Now, um, I I try to look at the technology, like you were saying, the technology behind it. So, you know, you mentioned um, Dash and Zcash. I'll throw out a bonus for everybody that's listening. Um, if you're on Bitrex, look up Zencash. Z e n. Mm-hmm. Um, so Zencash is basically and it's only $7 right now. I'm looking at the chart. Um, so Zencash, I'll probably add it as a coin that we can mine soon, too, by the way, after we launch. But Zencash is basically Dash and Zcash combined. So take the masternode concept from Dash, put that into Zcash, where you have a secure encrypted masternode called the secure node. And it encrypts that entire layer of the transaction that's Zen. Um, and that means Jack can send Ben Zen cash and don't know nobody know except as we say here in Texas, me, you and a fence post. That's what yeah, that exactly. means. Exactly. And they even they even went another step further, which is they're even testing pushing it all through port eighty so it looks like web traffic. So it would make it really difficult for a um, state entity to block it because they'd have to block the whole web. Which, yeah, go ahead and do that. If you want to see Congress clowns pulled out in the street, you can go ahead. I hear that all the time. They're going to shut the Internet down. I don't think you understand how this works. I I mean, mean, you want to see, remember the the bloody revolution of France? It will look like a day in Disneyland if they shut the Internet off. Yeah, I mean, even China, you know, they've got the Great Firewall that prevents people from accessing certain types of sites from China, but they still can't block access to the Internet, you know. I mean, they still have business and commerce and, and news and everything that happens um, through China, you know. So, um, yeah, even even a country like that that is, uh, you know, very controlling, they still have access to the Internet. Well, yeah, and I've, I've, I've talked about this with other guests on crypto before. Like, this is the arms race that the state cannot win. Because, you, you know, we, we can't win an arms race against the state with bombs or planes or whatever because... It's a monetary component in of itself makes it unsustainable. The state can always outspend you. Um, but if you want to have an arms race with software, good freaking luck, right? Because <laughs> some, some kid right now that just got off his gaming PC and, and just learned about this shit like you did is laying down code that the, the, the best people in government right now do not even understand yet. 
Like they have just kind of sort of figured out what Bitcoin is, and well, we're going to regulate Bitcoin. That's nice, assholes. Go ahead. We, we, you know, it's like there's there's nothing you can do at this point. This genie is out, and I do see it kind of like um, it's kind of like the dot com, the internet, the not even the dot com boom. I don't want to put it that way. More like the internet being released all over again with the new opportunities. Like when the internet first, and, and I don't mean like. The stuff back in the 70s and 80s. I'm talking about the you've got mail internet, you know, got released. Um, the opportunities for people working, as you know, and I know personally, from home went through the roof, and the opportunities to build businesses and companies went through the roof. And I see that all over again. We were talking about some of the stuff that's going on in the the marketplace, and you mentioned EM coin, right? And uh, people are calling it Dubai coin, but it's not Dubai coin. It's EM coin because some dude did the little clone thing you talked about owns the term Dubai coin, right? So like that makes you know that makes me think of that makes me think of domain squatting, right? When domains first came out, people were like, I'm going to register Coke.com or whatever, and next thing you know, they're extorting Coca-Cola for a quarter million dollars to get their name back, and you know I see kind of some of that going on right now, and that just kind of shows you the whole we're doing this again type of, of vibe I think to it. Exactly. I do think we're doing this again. You know, I had um, in like 95, 96, 97, I was doing Internet service providers and um, at first consulting for other people and helping set them up and then for myself. And I see it a lot like, you know, back in those days of the Internet, um, I see a lot of, you know, like even even the mining operations like this, I think, are akin to the, the the small internet provider, the small web hosting companies, and um, I, I think the same thing with the coins. You know, I don't. I talk about this on Facebook. I don't see this as the tulip bubble. What freaking value did tulip bulbs have in the grand scheme of things? The price went from one dollar to like sixty dollars over a span of four years. So that's what the tulip bubble was for people that don't know. This is in the 1600s. Um, so. In, in the Netherlands, tulip bubbles went from $1 to $60 a piece in, in the 1600s. And um, so a lot of people equate the crypto bubble to the tulip bubble. And I don't think that that's accurate because tulips, you know, don't provide long-term value. I see, the en- I see this more like the Internet and the dot-com bubble. I see this more like the Internet of the 80s and 90s. For one thing... Right now, crypto is harder to use than it should be, just like the Internet was in the You've Got Mail days where you actually had to dial up on a modem, you know, and you had to do things. And even before that, right, Jack, with bulletin boards and yeah. stuff like that that we yeah. had to dial into? Yeah. I go back to my Commodore 64 and stuff with stuff like that. Yeah, Dude, so, yeah. I just got a Commodore 64 shirt from Facebook. <laughs> That's awesome. And you should see how many people were, like, commenting on it the first time I wore it. Like, so many people. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, it was so much harder. You had to have, you had to know how to type the commands to get your phone to dial and to turn off your call waiting, you know, and, and all that stuff that people don't even know about. Like, people today don't even know what call waiting is, really, much less, like, um, you know how to how to make your computer dial into another computer and transfer an email. Yeah, um, so one specific that. computer, right? And then you had to get off of that one and go to another one to do something else. And like, I'll tell you what we're gonna have in crypto, Ben. This is like when I remember when the whole DSL rollout started, and like everybody I knew and their mother had AOL. 
And my brother-in-law was getting DSL, and he was all excited, and he wasn't sure how to use everything once the tech got it set up. So I go over and find out what the problem is, and I'm like, everything works fine. And he goes, how do I get to my AOL? He didn't even understand he was on the Internet because he didn't have all that AOL start screen bullshit. And I went, <laughs> you better dump your AOL stock right now because this moment is going to happen a hundred million times in the next couple of years. And if you look at what AOL is today, it's this piece of thing that Time Warner owns or whatever that's nothing compared to like one of the most powerful companies of the 1990s. And there's going to be moments like that in cryptocurrency where all of a sudden what was something that only people like you and me understood or knew how to do, your grandmother is going to buy her, you know, her gardening shit with Zcash or whatever. And yeah. and that is when everything that's when everything kind of comes unglued because I, what I don't think people get about Bitcoin like what would happen right now if five percent of America wanted to own one Bitcoin? They wouldn't. They couldn't own <laughs> one Bitcoin. <laughs> you can't. There's not enough of them there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so so the value would go way up because there's not enough of them for those people and. Um, We're not even talking about lost bitcoins that don't that no one can get access to anymore. <laughs> Which, by the way, they think might be as much as a third of the 14 odd million that have been mined. Yeah, I think that's a lot, but I, I definitely think a lot of them are lost. I mean, you know, one of the documentaries they talk about how the guy um, had a computer where he was mining bitcoin using the CPU back in the old days. You yeah. know, would he get like one a day? <laughs> they were like worth. They weren't worth anything, you know. Um, but actually, the blocks back then, you got 50 bitcoins when you found a block. Holy crap! So then they went. Then they have the 25, and now they're at 12.5. So um, the you got 50. So you know that computer had hundreds or thousands of bitcoins. I don't remember. I think in the documentary they said they were using like prices back then of like you know hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars. Not not five thousand dollars like Bitcoin yeah. is worth today. This guy and I mean I don't even know how many millions of dollars this computer was worth. I I I, I wasn't prepared with the numbers. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen the documentary. But the point was, the guy tried to find this computer that he had gotten rid of. They went so far as to go try and find it in the landfill. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they tried to do anything they could to find this computer and possibly get this Bitcoin because at this point. It's worth hundreds of thousands or even low millions, you know, all the Bitcoin that's now lost on this computer. And uh, they tried to track it down, tried to track waste management to, to figure out where it went. And, um, you know, there's, there's, I'm sure there's lots of instances like that. I'm also sure there's lots of instances of really tiny increments of Bitcoin sure. that exist all over the place and they're too small to move. Um, because of the transaction fee is greater than the amount of Bitcoin. And so right now, all over the world, there's lots of those little tiny bits out there, and, and that adds up. Well, and that is, that's something that is recoverable eventually, right? So well, that's like, if the price goes high enough, you know, what's a Saatchi going to be worth? You know, the, well, the, well that, that's true if people have access to those. But I don't know about you. I mean, I know that I have little tiny bits of Bitcoin in probably a lot of different places that I probably don't even remember. That's true, too. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're so, so, so 
some of that will be lost. And you're right, some of it will be re- recoverable as the transaction fee goes down. Because um, the value goes up, it, it effectively pushes the transaction fee down because people will take less at some point. Like if, if you get to a point where you know people are literally trading like 200 sachis on a transaction, then your transaction fee is going to have to be relatively low for that to work out. So as the, 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 the USD value of Bitcoin goes up, effectively the transaction cost per transaction has to go down. That's just how Correct. that works, you know. Because that's how it's designed to work. And I think that's one of the things like people don't understand. Like that's the whole point. Like we live in a world that runs on an inflationary currency. You have to grow the monetary supply. You have to grow the velocity of money for the economy to not fall apart. That's how the dollar works. Bitcoin is the exact opposite of that. Bitcoin is a cap and fractionalized currency. So what you do is you make something so fractionable. Like you can only fraction a dollar down into a penny. right? So if you made a deflationary dollar, you have a real problem because sooner or later that penny is worth... $100 worth of goods. Well, how the hell can that money move now? You see what I'm saying? Like, you, you, you can either start cutting pennies apart with, with 10 snips or something, but you effectively can do that with Bitcoin. You can go down to like 9, 10 decimal points, whatever it is. And so that makes it, for, for the purposes of the time that we will exist before we become worm dirt, it makes it infant, infinitesimally fractionable. So we can go to as small a piece as necessary regardless of how valuable the individual unit becomes. And, and that is actually completely brilliant. And I don't, like, people claim to be Sochi and whatever. All I, Satoshi, I, the only thing I know about him is he had to have completely understood the existing monetary paradigm to create something like this. There's, that's the only way you would get there. Yeah, I, I think that the other thing that you've mentioned is... Um, you know, we're talking about transaction fees and stuff, and, and you said that it will have to go down. But I'm going to say that with Bitcoin, not necessarily, because right now one of the problems Bitcoin has is um, too many transactions. So you submit a transaction to the blockchain, and it might take a while because that block is already full of transactions. Sure. And one of the ways to get your transaction to show up in the block faster and not have to wait is to pay a higher fee. So right now, instead of Bitcoin fees going down, Bitcoin fees are going up because people want to try and get their transactions through. I mean, you know, I had a transaction the other day for, you know, over one Bitcoin, and... Um, I didn't mind paying $5, you know, transaction fee um, to get it to go through. Um, but that makes people not want to buy stuff for $5 or $50, you know what I mean, because the fee is so high. No, I completely understand what you're saying. Here's here's what I'm so, saying. Let's say that right now you have some Bitcoin sitting in an address and it's a dollar's worth of Bitcoin. Then that is effectively unspendable, Right. If Bitcoin goes up in price enough that that dollar's worth of Bitcoin becomes $50 worth of Bitcoin, it becomes spendable because everything else is linear. Not necessarily. Because if the fees if the fees of the network are $500... Oh, sure. 
Sure. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so the problem, and, and, and what I'm trying to get to is this is a problem that Bitcoin has right now, and it could be the death blow of Bitcoin. Because, and, and it's why we see these forks coming up, is because people are trying to figure out how to get around these limitations of, of Bitcoin transactions. So, so we're seeing forks like the SegWit fork coming up. Um, where it it will support more transactions per block, um, and because right now their people are raising their fees instead of lowering their fees. Ideally, you're right. Over time, the fee will go down, but but right now transactions are so backlogged. Like even my transaction the other day, I'm sending over one Bitcoin. I had to wait probably three or four blocks. I mean, it was probably 30 or 40 minutes I had to wait before my transaction showed up. If that was Ethereum, it would have showed up within a minute. You know what I mean? No, I know, so I know what you mean. That's that's a problem that Bitcoin has right now, and it's, and it's an opportunity for other coins to capitalize on, especially while Bitcoin is, there, there's a lot of contention over the right way to solve the problem. Um, and keep in mind, too, guys, that when you see these people that are for or against a fork, a lot of them have their own reasons why they are for or against. Some of them, for example, are backing other coins. So, of course, they don't want Bitcoin to solve their problems because they created another coin. <laughs> you know? Some of them have a massive investment in legacy technology currently mining Bitcoin And that change that right now has them at an advantage with that equipment could put them at a disadvantage. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's, that's another that's... huge reason. Like I just invested in all this ASIC two shit, and if if uh, if you make this change, maybe uh, another technology will become viable. Um, that that's 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 another example. Yeah, I think there's a ton of stuff, and we have like like another fork coming up, and I think that's pushing the price of Bitcoin up because people know like. When it forks, as long as I control my own keys, I just got free money. So that's a, that's actually a fork for mining. That fork uh, coming up next week on the 25th. It's one of the reasons why Crypto Gulch is going to launch on the 24th, by the way, because they're going to freeze Bitcoin, and we couldn't take transactions in Bitcoin on the 25th. Okay. <laughs> so let's so let's launch on the 24th instead, so you can still pay in Bitcoin if you want to. Gotcha. But on the 25th, Bitcoin Gold is going to launch from Bitcoin, and Bitcoin Gold is going to fork off of Bitcoin, and it's going to switch Bitcoin algorithm to an algorithm that can be mined by GPUs, supposedly, instead of needing ASICs. Okay. Um, so an ASIC, instead of having a 1,000 to 1 advantage, for example... An ASIC might have a 100 to 1 advantage or something like that. I, I don't know what the exact numbers are, but it's going to make the people that have ASICs um, not have nearly as big of an advantage over GPU miners. So GPU miners may theoretically be able to mine Bitcoin Gold. And, and that remains to be seen how well that's going to work. It remains to be seen if Bitcoin Gold is even going to have any value. You know, if you Is anybody going to care, right? Yeah. I mean, if you look at some of these other splits, like Ethereum versus Ethereum Classic, well, Ethereum Classic is worth what, like 11 bucks? Yeah. And Ethereum is worth, you know, 340? Yeah. 
You know, I mean, so, and, and Bitcoin Cash, you know, is is it going the same way? I don't know what the Bitcoin Cash price is today. I have no idea. I sold mine as soon as I claimed it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It was, I and then and then I then I saw some, um, I found some that was in one of my accounts that I'd forgotten about, and I bought like $300 worth of Zancoin um, with that Bitcoin Cash. Let's see. Bitcoin Cash is worth $313 today. I'm actually impressed, man, that it's held its value that well. I really am. I think there's enough. Well, you know, the other thing, too, is that um, I one of my thoughts on these forks is that there's a certain market for fork coins. Mm. And every one of these Bitcoin forks dilutes the market for fork coins more. That's true. So my guess is the Bitcoin cash price will go down because now there's other forks for people to possibly hold on to as well, just in case. Yeah. And so that's going to eat away at Bitcoin cash's market. Well, the, I guess the other thing with that is like, so I think I got like 550 or something like that for my Bitcoin cash. Um, so as you keep having these forks... More and more people figure out if they're going to devalue, then go ahead, claim your shit, and dump it. Well, the more that gets dumped, the lower the price of the forked coin, right? So I would bet that a huge amount of the forkable coin was never claimed. It's just sitting there. The, the people yeah. didn't do it. The people, like, people are like, like, right now, dude, you have like 900 bucks. Go get it. Oh, okay. And they don't. Well, it's weird. <laughs> you, so so let's 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 educate your audience a little bit on forks. And I apologize if this if this gets um, no go ahead too, too techy. Um, if if you're not real techy, skip ahead five minutes. Um, so it, when a fork happens, what happens is that the the transactional ledger, the blockchain, your your coin will it, um, at a certain number it will split, and you'll have two ledgers, two blockchains at that point. So up until that point, um, if you had, if you had, you know, one Bitcoin, and then that split happens, you now have one Bitcoin on each blockchain. So you have one Bitcoin, and you have one Bitcoin cash, or one Bitcoin gold, which is coming up on the 25th. Um, so the, to some degree, that is, um, just because that happens doesn't necessarily mean that you get it. And, and that's what Jack means when he's talking about claiming it. Some, uh, some of the exchanges may or may not credit you that, because guess what? If they don't credit you that, they're probably claiming it. Sure. Anyway, I didn't just say that, but some of them are probably not the most ethical people in the world. Um, so some of the exchanges, like usually like Bittrex supported the Bitcoin Cash uh, fork. So if you had your Bitcoin sitting on Bittrex, you literally didn't have to do anything. You just had to wait. Bittrex won't trade for 24 or 48 hours while they wait for the fork to happen and, and then they wait to see that everything is still functioning you know they watch everything to make sure everything's functioning well and then they turn then they turn it on and you had suddenly you had an equal amount of bitcoin cash as long as you kept it on bitrex now what if you didn't keep it on bitrex what if you had it on a wallet on your computer um that was more complicated you actually needed to make a backup of your wallet 
Then you needed to download the um, new client for Bitcoin Cash, and then you needed to import your wallet, and then you could send then you could send your Bitcoin Cash. And if you did that in the wrong order, which I did and lost probably half a Bitcoin, um, <laughs> um, if you did that in the wrong order, I sent my Bitcoin away before I did the Bitcoin Cash thing, and so when when my wallet uh, it, 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 my wallet got confused and thought I'd already sent that Bitcoin cash away. Um, so anyway, that, that, you know, if you do it yourself, that leads to possible problems and that leads to coins not being claimed. Um, if you use a hardware wallet, you know, um, you need to check with that vendor, you know, Trezor, Ledger. Um, if you use a hardware wallet like that, you need to check with the vendor and see if they're going to support it. Um, when a fork is happening, Usually the best way to check is to check that um, exchange or that wallet vendor's Twitter ID or to check their website and their blog. You know, usually they'll make some announcements about it. Um, if you didn't know yet, I encourage you to set up some Google alerts. Go to google.com slash alerts and set up an alert for, um, for, for Bitcoin or, you know, whatever coins you're interested in and set it up to email you daily a summary, you know, and, and hopefully you'll, you know, that'll help you stay in touch to see what's going to happen with your coin. Um, now, some of that we'll probably try and help educate our customers as well with Crypto Gulch. If you've been following the Crypto Gulch Facebook page, you know, I'm trying to post there and, you know, um, some people have asked about whether or not we can have a forum on Crypto Gulch or whatever. Um, I'm trying to figure out what the best tool for the community is, you know, do people still use forums? I mean, I know the younger generation doesn't necessarily, um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I want to continue to help educate our customers, and even if you're not a customer, you know, our followers on some of this uh, cryptocurrency. No, I think that's, again, that's a big part of the value you guys bring to the table. Um, you know, one of the things you said is you think, you know, cryptocurrency is going to be around. I do, too. Let's talk about a few things going on. We just talked about the fork that's coming, so we won't beat up that anymore. But uh, you, you mentioned something I, had, I didn't even know about, and I, I usually pay pretty close attention to this. Apparently, there's going to be a thing called the crypto ruble or something like that uh, coming out of Russia. So Russia is all like, well, maybe we need to regulate cryptocurrency. Maybe we need to make it illegal. Maybe we need – and I've, Russia did at one time say it was illegal under an existing law and, like, no one cared. Um, that's the interesting thing about cryptocurrency. But now you, you, they're going to come out with their own. Like uh, the United Arab Emirates is like the first one officially to say they're going to do it. So now it looks like Russia's going to. Yeah. So so just last night or this morning um, in Russia. So I mean, this news came out like I don't know overnight our time. Um, it was it's officially announced in. I don't understand how something is officially announced, but it's done in a private committee or something. But anyway, it was announced that Russia is going to launch a crypto ruble. So they're going to have their own uh, blockchain. It's going to be exchangeable one for one for rubles. And if you can't show where you got it from, you're going to be taxed 13%. <laughs> and it's not, it's not mineable either. You yeah. Know. Um, so I'm not 100% sure how they plan to to run that blockchain, you know, if they're going to have some sort of 
you know, nodes, master nodes or something. Um, they're going to have to do something like that to support the uh, blockchain itself. Um, but it's kind of interesting, you know. Um, I think that this is going to, we're going to see a lot of this. I mean, even my parents, you know, they're in their 70s. They were, they don't really understand crypto, but, um, you know, somebody from church turned them onto some video where the guy was talking about the federal government going to a blockchain because, you know, they, they can trace it all. And it makes taxes really easy for them because they can trace income. Sure. And, um, you know, so I think we're going to see a lot more of this. I'm, I'm much more interested in the Dubai, which is EM Cash, not EM Coin, by the way. Okay. Just to correct you. Um, I think it's EM Cash. I'm sitting here looking at an article. I'm not sure if it's correct or not, but EM Cash. And then they're going to have EM Pay, which is the, which is like the app or whatever for people to pay for goods and for business owners and stuff to use to exchange goods. Um, so, I'm much more interested in that than I am Russia, right? Because I'm really not uh, interested in a coin that's backed by a communist government that's going to tax me 13%. Um, to use it. Yeah. <laughs> to use it, right? That's that's pretty sketchy. Um, uh, but I am uh, – Dubai, the, they're kind of brilliant. Um, you know, like the crown prince is – I was talking to a friend whose who's, um, kids live over there, overseas, and um, he he's, was telling me about, you know, how, like, the Crown Prince realized that their oil is going to run out. So let's make Dubai, you know, a tourist attraction and, you know, all of these other things that they're doing in advance of the oil running out. And I think that this, you know, this play of becoming um, – a blockchain city is what they're already calling Dubai. Yeah. You know, they're already starting. It's going to be a leader in blockchain. I mean, they're really smart. And so that's a really interesting twist to me. I, you know, there's still a lot of us that maybe don't support uh, government-backed crypto because we like the decentralized and untraceable, you know, nature of some of the other currencies. That's one of the reasons why I back Zcash and, and why I back other ones like uh, Zen. I've never really been big into Monero, but I know a lot of people like Monero for anonymity too. Um, so anyway, yeah, Dubai. Uh, what do you think about Dubai? I think it's a it's a good example of governments if they want to be successful with this heading in the right direction. I, I think that the the obvious way that a government could roll out a cryptocurrency and basically replace their paper currency with it and and do well with that play. And this is going to sound absolutely insane on its head, would be the elimination of income tax. And, and the reason I say that is, like, just because you know I got money does not mean you know how much tax I owe on it, right? Because all of my expenditures, no matter how I make them, they come down to different classifications. And, and in the end, I and my CPA determine the validity of that expenditure against my business income or my personal income. It doesn't matter. And auditing is actually very time-consuming, and that's why, like, if you've noticed, you've never met somebody that fills out a 1040EZ that's ever been audited. You know, they might get caught not reporting some income or something, but nobody, no auditor sits down and audits their tax return. The the, the most audited people in America are the giant corporations, because you might find a, you know, a couple million bucks they owe, 
and the mom and pops that turn a half a million to two and a half million dollars because they can be extorted, they can't afford the defense, and there's enough money there to go after. You audit somebody that makes 75 grand a year, the auditor costs more than, than they'll ever get out of that audit unless the guy has paid no taxes for 10 years. But if you go to a consumption tax, which is basically a national or federal sales tax, and you go to a cryptocurrency, you automate it. You, if, a, if a dollar flows or a dollar coin or whatever they would call it, a marrow coin or whatever, moves, then the transaction fee is taken through the network. And you could actually eliminate taxation. And I think Dubai's the kind of country that might do that. And Dubai's the kind of country that there's a lot of shit I don't like about Dubai. Don't get me wrong, right? But, like, they do seem to put a premium on our citizenry benefits at the expense of all of the, the people that work here that aren't citizens, all the people that visit here that aren't citizens, right? So if you build basically the Disneyland of the world in Dubai, then every time someone comes into your economy and has to spend your currency, they don't just generate revenue for your merchant class, they create automated payments to government in the form of taxation. Now, I almost feel like I should be struck by lightning for saying all this shit because I'm not for growing any state, and I'm, I'm laying out a blueprint where a state could grow very, very effectively financially you know, and unleash the power of its people from a... Because think about if you had, in your business, Ben, if you had no concerns with taxation at all. And I'm not just talking about the windfall of having money, because if you're gonna, if you're gonna earn money, you're gonna spend money, you're still gonna, you say you're effectively paid the same, so you ended up at a net even, but you never had to worry about it. You never had to sit down with your CPA at the end of the year and figure shit out. You didn't have to go through like, is this deductible or is it not deductible? How much time is eaten by that? Mm -hmm. How much money is consumed by that? There's an entire, like H&R Block would cease to exist. <laughs> right, accountants would do what accountants are supposed to do, which would be as my accountant. What I really want you to do is look at my business, predict my cash flow, and tell me how to make it more stable. Or I'm going to have a hole, and I'm not going to be able to make payroll in August. And how am I going to bridge that? That or you know, how do I make a, pre a presentation to uh, a bank for my small business loan? Uh, how do I go to an investor? Like that's what accountants are actually supposed to do: make the company profitable. But 90% of what accountants do is service the tax, right? And like if you could eliminate that, and I think that's the kind of place Dubai would go with something like that. They already have very low taxes as it is. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that that's I think you're on to something there. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I know as a business owner, like you said, you know, how much time is spent on dealing with taxes, you know, quarterly taxes, monthly sales taxes, all the kinds of stuff that you have to deal with. And fear, right? Like like just like I, I'm not going to rip the – I'm public. I'm not going to rip the government off because they're going to rip my ass if I do, right? But still, like, do is this is this a deduction? How exactly do I classify this expense? You call the IRS and are like, basically, screw off. You're on your own. They give you almost no guidance. Like, so there's an apprehension. Like, so I'm sitting around wasting half a day. How do I declare this $2,000 expense? I know it's declarable, but how do I declare it? That That, that, that is – That is so much waste in our economy. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm in agreement. And I think also, like what you're talking about, too, this is, this is one of the reasons why I don't equate the Bitcoin bubble, if you will, to something like Tulip Mania. 
and I equate it more to like the internet and the dot com bubble, which is you're gonna that this technology is gonna be everywhere. It's going to be in everything sooner or later. You're already um, you're already discovering that devices that you have in your home are going to be running blockchain in the background and mining in the background. You can buy a Wi-Fi router for your house right now that has a Litecoin chip in it to mine Litecoin for you. No shit. Um, in Russia and China, they're working on heaters that are powered by the heat from the miner inside. Um, your refrigerator is going to be mining, you know, while it's working. All of that stuff is going to be happening in the future. And and so what you might see, and, and what you're talking about too, I mean, you know, it, it totally wipes out accounting and it wipes out entire industries that won't even be necessary anymore because of this technology. And, and it's just the same way the Internet has dominated and, and taken over our society. But I think this may be... It's at least as big as the Internet, if not more, how it's going to affect things. um, You know, it brings banking to people that can't have bank accounts. You know what I mean? In third world countries and things like that. There's so much that this brings um, that I think it might even – I hate this. I mean, I sound like an idiot saying this. It might be bigger than the Internet. Um, No, I I don't think you sound like an idiot because – it, like here's just some radical transformational thinking about humankind, right? Like that's pretty big, right? So as I was discussing, like how Dubai might use this to create a consumption tax and just basically eliminate income tax altogether, uh, and they end up with more money and people end up like not really caring because I get to keep all the money I earn now. This has the potential to be to, to empower what I've been talking about for like five years since I had discovered this stuff: virtual nations. So any nation, no matter what it is, has to have some sort of a a revenue stream. Now, that does not have to be theft in the form of typical taxes. It can be voluntary. And I personally consider a sales tax voluntary so long as I have another way to procure the same product, right? So if, if if you make me buy services from benefits in dollars, and I can't do it any other way, and I don't mean you do, I mean the state says you can't go another way. Okay, well, then, then it's mandatory because sooner or later I need something, right? But if I can choose to do business with you another way and avoid that, but because you've made it so comfortable or it's just easier, that's Ben likes it so much, that's all Ben takes, and I want to do business with Ben, then I'm going to spend dollars and pay the tax. That's voluntary because I made the decision and I wasn't forced into it. If you take that approach and build a virtual nation, where people exchange cryptocurrency and there no one ever within that entity or on the way into that entity ever touches a government currency. So you have to do something like buy this virtual nation's tokens with Ethereum. So you've, you bought Bitcoin for cash, then you swapped it to Ethereum, and then you swapped your Ethereum to virtual nation XYZ. At that point, you are divorced from the economic system. That system could be built where the transaction fees within that nation are effectively the taxes that go to provide whatever services are given and distributed to everyone that participates in the economy. And yet you're still deciding because you're having to go in there to do business in there. So it's not, it's not theft, which is what I consider you know, government taxes to be. That's <laughs> one thing. 
That's one thing this could do, and that is that is radical beyond belief. And if that happens, it'll do the same thing that it'll be a repeating of the pattern. So when Bitcoin first started to actually become worth a couple bucks a coin, and people started to actually spend it, who spent it and took it first? ISPs, web host providers, people that provided services that didn't have underlying hard costs because they could speculate. So those would be your soft services would be the first things that move into that that new cloud, which is a, like the divorce from society cloud, right? But that's what built crypto to where it is today. Now you can you know get gift cards and go buy shit on Amazon with Bitcoin, and 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 so when you say bigger than the internet, that alone would be bigger than the internet. And I think there's a hundred thousand other things this stuff can do that we ain't even thought about yet. Yeah, I, definitely the technology is is going. We're we're not even going to realize. Blockchain is powering everything. You know, uh, we won't even realize that this is powered by blockchain. You know, and I mean that right now it's being looked at by shipping and logistics companies, insurance, banking, um, things like titles. Um, heck, I even know uh, one of the um, like Decred, like you can get married on the blockchain and stuff now. You know, I mean like. The blockchain is going to power everything, and uh, it's just really interesting. So I think what what will happen is we'll see failures, we'll see some that fail, and, and we'll see some that probably like people never thought would fail fail. Um, we'll see some that got really big, like AOL did, and now basically hardly exist. You know, AOL Instant Messenger is being turned off this year. You know. Um, <laughs> So we'll I can't see. imagine why. <laughs> yeah, nobody's using it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But but you know like we'll see that happening in in the blockchain space and and I'm saying blockchain instead of Bitcoin because um, hopefully by now if you've been listening to this whole show you realize Bitcoin is just a small part of this overall technology. Um, so we'll see we'll see these these changes and we'll see companies that survive you know even if everything crashes, we'll see some of these coins survive um, and thrive. You know, I mean, if you look at the dot-com burst, um, when the bubble burst, Google had just started like a year or two before the bubble burst, and look at Google today. It's the dominant gorilla in the room everywhere. Amazon took a hit, but they never went away, and now they're, you know, a behemoth that's taking over the world. I think Bezos is like, I'm taking over the world. Like, he basically wants to put the post office out of business, from what I can see. Uh, yeah, he's going to put Walmart out of business, yeah. which is going to be hilarious to me when that happens. And, and, and then, like, so when you bring Walmart, that's like another pattern repeating. So what happened with the dot coms was an eventual inevitability. Everybody does e-commerce on the internet today, and when that started, and they realized that they had to, what companies did, and I remember quite a few of my, I was doing structured cabling and test equipment back then, so I had big corporate companies that were doing technology rollouts to support this. But what they were doing is they were trying to hedge their bet. They basically took their e-commerce division and made it completely divorced from their retail division. And what you've seen over the last 10 years is a remarrying of all those, like, this doesn't work. So that now I can go to Tractor Supply, for instance, and say, do they have the stock tanks I need? And when I buy them, I can go pick them up at the store. When they had their first websites, you couldn't do that. And it, it made no sense. So these companies fought this because they didn't understand it, but eventually they accepted the inevitability of the technology. And 
the, the winners that were like behind that technology had to be sorted out over time, and there were a lot more losers than winners, but yet the technology went everywhere. And that's how I see blockchain. We don't know who the winners will be in, you know, not just the currency itself, but, but technology development that uses that's divorced from, or it's, let's say it's called, uh, it would be crypto agnostic. So an example of a crypto agnostic service or semi agnostic service would be a Jack's wallet. Jack's really doesn't give a damn if you put Zcash in your wallet or if you put Ethereum in your wallet. What they do hope you will do is eventually you shape shift, right? And shift from one or the other because that's how they make their money. They make all, almost all their money is made through shapeshift.io. Uh, so that's, that's a, a it's, if it was completely agnostic, it would look like Bitrix. You could have anything you want in there. But it, you know, that's what, like 25 currencies or something like that. And that is a play that's, it, it's, it's not, like there isn't a Jax coin, if that makes sense, right? JAXX coin, not my coin. Um, And, and so there's going to be tons of stuff like that, and tons of it will fail, but the inevitability is that it ends up everywhere in some form. We just don't know what that form will take yet. Yeah. Yeah, no. I, I, and I think that it's, it's really exciting to be involved in this. It's confusing to people that are new and maybe don't understand all the technologies and everything, and that's okay. Um You've got to start somewhere, you know what I mean? And um, so what we're doing is we're helping, hopefully, helping you understand some of the technology. Um, I think that I would love to get to the point with Crypto Gulch where, you know, um, there's people setting up rigs and maintaining rigs, and I can be more focused on the education Or maybe there's somebody that's just focused on the education. Maybe that's what I do. Maybe I bring in somebody just to focus on the education and help people. Because I know, I know we also have people of all different levels that are interested in our project. You know, some of you guys are already mining and you literally want to send me your equipment. By the way, no. I'm doing it. Yeah. <laughs> no. I'm probably not going to rule it out, but I'm going to 99% rule it out. So maybe there's 1% of me that I might be okay to that, but. Just from a security standpoint and a how do I get paid and everything else, it's just such a nightmare that I don't think I want to deal with other people's equipment. Um, and I think my customers don't want me dealing with other people's equipment if no. they understand the security risk involved. No, and I mean, I look at it this way. Standardization is key to efficiency. I've standardized the filters in my fish tanks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Because that way I buy one set of filters, and once a month I go to my inventory, I pull out new filters, I shove them in, I throw the old ones away, and when the inventory drops, I go to Amazon and I reorder. And it's, it's, that makes my life easy. Now imagine I have like, you know, 10 fish tanks. If I had different filters for every fish tank, and I had to maintain just that inventory alone, or in your case, the, like when you make an upgrade to your system or add a coin, you pretty much do it for everybody at once. Well, now you got to go figure out how to make it work for this guy who sent you his stuff, you know. Or you've got all your stuff mounted on these aluminum racks that allows the equipment to cool itself, and he sends you, you know, some big giant gamer box or something. It just, to me, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense, especially right now. Yeah, I mean, I mean, so I, the other thing I have to do is I have to secure all of that equipment from all the other equipment yeah. in terms of the network. You know, um, I have to. Determine how do I price out that hosting of that equipment so that I don't get screwed in the long run. 
the way the way my pricing model works is I charge a fee by mining, you know, anywhere from six to seven and a half hours a day, you know, depending upon the um, the rate. Um, and and so so for you, Jack, I'm mining six hours a day. So from midnight to six a.m., I'm mining for myself. So I want to be as profitable as possible and help you mine the most profitable thing with your GPU because that's how I'm getting paid as well. Um, the problem with some other person's gear is, I, you know, I don't necessarily control the software. I don't necessarily control what they mine. And if I'm the one paying the electric bill, they can mine whatever the hell crap they want to mine that might be worth, you know, 10 cents a day. Yeah, and the power cost for the equipment might cost me a dollar fifty. You know, so so how do how do I figure out how to like how do I figure out how to charge someone fees for that? And then then you've got the whole deal of they didn't pay this month. So what do I do? I've got their stupid equipment in my in my warehouse. Do I send them their equipment back and lose more money? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's a whole there's. No, there's no, there's no good from this. There's no, there's no compelling reason to do this. Exactly. I mean, in the end, I mean, what we have to tell people is one of the reasons it's easy for us to say, like, if you don't totally understand this, don't get involved, is we have a waiting list of people that want to get involved. And, right. and that's because they do understand what's going on and they, they understand the words you're saying right now. I don't want you screwing with other stuff. I want your efforts placed to my benefit. And the best way to ensure that happens is to make sure that those same benefit, benefit, those same efforts benefit you, because people do shit that benefits them. I mean, we can all, you know, you can tell me all the socialist utopia bullshit stories you want, but in the end, people do things that benefit them. So if you set up your business model to encourage yourself to do a good job, I have reasonable confidence. That you're gonna do, you, you could fail. I'm not gonna say you can. Any business can fail. I've been part of successful businesses and failed businesses, but I, I have a reasonable expectation you're gonna apply your effort to the best of your ability because it benefits you to do so. If you're dinking around with some guy's crap box or worried about like what do I do with this, all of that time is time you're not spending doing what I'm paying you to do. Right. I I I think this is a win-win. The scenario that we have. Uh, Selected this business model. Um, I think it's I think it's different. You know, it's not like. By the way, if if you lease, if you go to Genesis Mining, and you lease 30 mega hash of Ethereum, you know they're gonna charge you like $800 for two years, and you're not even gonna own it. Hmm. And um, you know, you come to a, a, a GPU basically does roughly 30 mega hashes of Ethereum. You know, so once you've bought your starter kit, you're buying a GPU for 600 bucks and you own it. I mean, you know, it's it's a totally different business model. I think it works out much better for the consumer. Um, I think it works out well for me too. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it. I think it's a good win-win. I and, and you know, we're so just to let your audience know. What the plan is, is the plan is to take on 20 new customers on October the 24th. We're going to sell 20 new cost, 20, 20 starter rigs, and we're going to have 40 add-on GPUs available on October the 24th at noon central time. If you're not at your computer, I'm sorry. Um, we'll hopefully be able to do it again, and maybe we can pick a different time of day to do the launch again. Um, but at first, we're going to need to do it incrementally. 
because of space and power issues, because, quite frankly, I'm still working on the software, too, and I don't want to look like a douche in front of Jack. Um, I don't want Jack to look like a douche for recommending me to you guys. Um, I mean, you know, um, I... And, and I'm being—I'm just being honest and upfront with everybody. Some of you might think I'm being unprofessional because I'm not a professional salesperson sitting here, um, you know, trying to sell you a load of horseshit. Um, I believe that the best way to do it is to scale up. If I could go fast, I would go fast. I'm going to make more profit if I go fast. You know, my my resources scale better. My pricing scales better on my end, so I make more profit if I grow this thing really big. So I would I would go fast if I could, but I think it makes more sense to go slow. Let's take on 20 customers. Let's make sure that we can give them the service that they that they pay for. Plus, we've got you know some existing test customers like yourself, Jack. And, and some of your other listeners have already come on board as test customers, a few of my personal friends. And so, you know, quite frankly, several of you guys want to keep upgrading your equipment, and I need to keep up with that too. And, and then, you know, I'm looking at a warehouse space so that we can expand further. Um, you know, I, I, I mentioned this, maybe I don't know if I mentioned this on the show or when we were chatting. I didn't intend for this to be as big as it has gotten. I didn't realize there was such a demand for this. You know, I thought I had like 20 friends or something that were maybe interested in, in getting started mining. And um, I didn't realize that, you know, there was such a demand for this. Um, so I want to I want to service your demand, and I want to service every single one of you guys that wants to get involved with us. But we need to do it gradually so we don't screw things up. Well, and then don't you know? Don't panic or something like because when you get your these, these twenty new people set up and configured, and you're ready, you were going to do this again. It's not like they're going to yeah, yeah, like this yeah. is not a fire sale or some crap. Like there's there's really no sales going on here. This is this is this the reality of what's available. So if you don't happen to get involved next week and you still want to, you're going to have additional opportunities, and. You know, you bring in 20 customers that they're all happy. Now you have a reasonable expectation that if you grow another 40, that they're going to be relatively happy. And both of us know you cannot afford unhappy customers. There, you know, one unhappy customer can ruin what you're trying to do good for 20. And that's why I think both of us have a track record of firing customers. It's, it's, it's counterintuitive, but it's really not. Like, I learned that from a mentor a long time ago. You, you cannot keep a customer who's, you know, you're making $100 a month off of, but they're taking $500 worth of your time a month to maintain that. It's just not worth it. Yeah, go with God. Buy a condios. Bye-bye. And, uh, but you don't want to do that. You know, I have, I say I do it a lot, but I probably have two or three of those a year on a $50 a year product, right? So that's, that's easy. But you don't want, you know, to bring in 20 customers and have 10 of those. So you, you bring in an educated customer that understands exactly what they're buying and why they're buying it and what they're getting, and then you make sure you're delivering exactly that, and you say, okay, now we'll do this again. And I think that is showing that you're not clearly not a pump and dump. Because if you were a pump and dump, you'd be like, yeah, sell it to everybody, right? And then you'd have to disappear because I would come to Costa Rica to get you. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Look, I mean, this is, in, in my opinion, you know, um, our credibility 
is our currency. As people who are in the internet space like this, if we screw people over, word's going to get out, and it's not worth it for us to make money in the short term um, to to screw people over, you know, because then we're going to cost ourselves money in the long term. If we can have, you know, a hundred raving fans, a thousand raving fans, um, we're set for life, you know. If you if you follow Seth Godin and some of those guys, you know what I mean. Yeah. So um, we just have to we we have to do our our best to um, to really take care of everybody and give them the services that um, that you pay for, make it a win win for everybody, and then we can take on some more customers. And I mean, I know somebody is going to reply and say it's a freaking marketing gimmick that we're only selling twenty. No. Okay. No. You're welcome. I'll give you the links to go to my competitors and buy. It's not a problem. Yeah. It's not a problem. You want to buy from somebody else, it's not a problem. I'm happy to tell you who they are. I even met a couple people in town that are are, are doing similar things. Um, So that's cool, you know. And if you want to do it yourself, that's cool, too. It's not right for everybody. Um, Jack, do we have any time left to answer some questions or, or to go through some of the questions that are commonly asked? Let me ask my boss. He says, yes, we can do that. (laughs) So I'm just looking through, like, not everybody has probably read through all the comments on some of the blog posts. So I just want to go through and and talk about um, some of the common questions. Um, You know, number one, can you can we buy from anywhere in the world? Yes, we've got one guy in the process of a test customer from Australia. Um, You know, so you can buy from anywhere in the world, especially if you're electric rate is really expensive and it doesn't make sense for you to be mining, that's cool. I'm happy for you to mine with me. Um, number two, what wallet to use? Um, Jax, J-A-X-X. Not J-A-C-K, but J-A-X-X. We should put a wallet in the App Store called J-A-C-K. Just to <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> so J-A-X-X wallet is, a, is an app that you can find in the App Store for Android and iPhone. And then um, it just, like, there's, it doesn't store the blockchain on your phone, so it doesn't take up a lot of space. But you can pick from, like, 25 different coins. And right now, all of the coins that we support, we're only supporting three initially. And, and um, that's Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Zcash. They're all supported in the Jax wallet, so go on ahead and download the Jax wallet. If you want a hardware wallet and you want to be more secure, we will sell them through the website. They're actually in the Crypto Gulp store right now. Um, by the way, Jack, I'm sending you a free one to thank you for um, your help. Well, thank you. Um, so we have the Trezor hardware wallet and the Ledger hardware wallet in the store now on the website. Um a lot of people ask, what coins are we going to mine? Well, right now we have Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Zcash as coins that you can mine. We do not mine Bitcoin directly. We mine Ethereum and Zcash directly if you want to mine either of those. Right now it's more profitable to mine Zcash than it is Ethereum. Um, so the only reason why I would suggest mining Ethereum, which Charles is doing, by the way, just to be different because that's Charles, uh, <laughs> So, so what Charles is doing is he's mining uh, Ethereum because he feels that Ethereum has a lot of potential in the future, you know, where you might not make as much from Ethereum today, but maybe six months from now, Ethereum is worth more 
so it'll pay off, you know, that kind of thing. That's one reason to mine Ethereum now. So Ethereum and Zcash, there's just an on-off switch on your, on your dashboard for you to click, and you can have your rigs mining, and each rig can mine a different coin if you want. When we say mine Bitcoin, we're not actually mining Bitcoin directly. Instead, what we're using is a rental service, and if someone doesn't have you know, $2,000, this is a rental service you can try yourself to get into mining. It's called Nice Hash, like hashish, H-A-S-H. Uh, hashes are how um, the, the rate, because you're submitting a hash back to the, the cryptography that says that, that needs to match. So it's all measured in hashes. Um, so, so a hash rate is how fast your computer runs at mining. Um, so Nice Hash um, is a service where you can rent, you know, and you rent how much hash rate you want, and you pick the coin. Well, we have some customers that want to get paid in Bitcoin, so what they're doing is they're renting their rig out using Nice Hash. So they're mining Zcash, but they're renting it to other people that want to mine Zcash, basically. So they're paying them on a weekly basis in Bitcoin, and you can even be paid on a daily basis if you have enough equipment. It's based on um, how much is in your wallet, you know, that you get paid. Um, so you can also mine Bitcoin indirectly that way. You can do Jack's method, which is you mine Zcash, and then you just shapeshift it to Bitcoin later if you want to, or you shapeshift it to Ethereum if you want to. Or whatever you want. And I'll tell you why I prefer my method. It's not really my method. I, why I prefer the method I prefer. It is because you choose the timing of the conversion. So if Bitcoin has a huge jump today and goes to 4800 bucks, um, that may or may not work out depending on how things are. If it goes really low... But if you're mining Zcash, you have kind of a fairly consistent over, let's say, a week uh, yield. And then you can choose when you want to convert that to anything. And that might be Ethereum. That might be that might be Dash. I don't know. It's whatever you want. And I, I like having that flexibility. But I can see both of them working. Yeah. So um, I, I, I like your idea. I mean, it depends also on on how much someone just wants to set it and forget about it. Sure. You know, um, if you want to set it and forget about it, or if you want to be a little bit more involved, like, Jack, you've already been trading, so, you yeah. know, you, this isn't, that's not a stretch for you. Um, but if you want to set it and forget about it, pick a coin that you think has a lot of value over time, and, you know, just stick with it. Um, a lo another common question is people ask, how long is it going to take to pay off the equipment? Well, it's it's not possible for us to say um, because it depends upon how much equipment you buy. It depends upon what coin you mine. It depends on whether or not you're trading that coin or if you're just holding that coin. It depends on the price that you sell for. So what I mean by that is, you know, today, and, and Jack mentioned this earlier, you know, um, one GPU might only make a dollar, a dollar fifty, or something a day um, after the fee and, and such as that. Maybe it doesn't make that much a day, but at the end of the month, you've got, you know, $45 worth of coin that you've mined from that GPU. Well, what's that coin worth at that point? 
you know, because really you don't have $45 worth of coin. You have .025 whatever, you know, Zcash that you've mined. What's that .025 Zcash worth? You know, if Zcash goes up in value, then you really didn't mine $45 worth. You know, you've mined $60 worth. You know what I mean? No, it's like you got to go back to my analogy with silver or gold. If you mine five ounces of silver, you didn't mine whatever you sold that silver for until you sell it. Right? You mine five. That's what you have. You have five ounces of silver ore, I guess, is the way to look at it. Exactly. That's, that's, that's a good way to look at it. And so then what's the value of that silver worth when you sell it? Or do you just hold it and it's, you know, your diversification, you know, or in case the shit hits the fan, you know? Um, let's talk about, let's talk about paying off the equipment though. Um, the $2,000 starter kit is an absolutely horrible investment if that's all you do with it. It's going to take you a long time to pay it off. And I, I'm just being honest. And the reason for that is because there's a lot of upfront cost. You're paying $2,000 for a starter kit, and that starter kit's probably only going to make you a few dollars a day. You know, um, even in the best scenario, it's probably only going to make you four or five dollars a day. You know, there's probably no scenario where that starter kit's going to make you ten or twenty dollars a day, unless you just get lucky and the coins really skyrocket in value. So the starter kit's going to take a while to pay off. Now, let's play this out. Let's say that you take your money from the starter kit, you only had two GPUs, and you added another GPU for just another 600 bucks. That's all it costs to add a GPU to the starter kit because you've already got everything for the, for the GPUs to plug into. You can go up to six on that, on that initial starter kit. So if you added a third GPU, suddenly you're mining 50% more a day but it only cost you 30% more to add that GPU. So, you know, if, if you, if a lot of the, a lot of the members that are already using the service are upgrading and their plans are to upgrade their equipment, you know, it, it starts to pay off faster. It also pays off faster because you're mining more coin faster. And then if the coin goes up in value, you've got more coin that you mined. So you're making even more profits on you know, the increase in value of the coin. So the two GPU starter kit, I mean, I'm sorry, it's it's got a really bad payoff rate. Um, what we've done, though, is we've made it easier for you to upgrade. So initially we were talking about $750 per GPU cost, a flat cost, $750 per GPU, and you um, that, that basically helps me pay for the rest of the computer components and, and shelves and and the network and everything else that has to go into me supporting it. Well, now we change that. So now you pay two thousand up front, and then you only pay six hundred dollars per GPU. That six hundred dollars per GPU is an infinite price. You can keep adding as many GPUs as you want. You don't have to buy another starter kit. I'm eating the cost of that second starter kit. So when you get the seven, I'm basically paying for a starter kit out of my own pocket, and your your seventh GPU just costs you six hundred bucks. On that seventh GPU, literally, I lose like <laughs> seven or eight hundred dollars. You know what I mean? Because I got to go buy all these other computer components. It's it's that seventh GPU is worth a lot more than six hundred dollars in components. Um, but but it makes it easier for you to keep upgrading, and it makes your costs 
and your return on your investment go down significantly. Um, so I, I think this pricing model actually works out better for people. Um, it's a little better for me, too, because it takes me just as long to set up a 2GPU rig as it takes me to set up a 6GPU rig. Sure, sure. And, I mean, yeah. I've done the math, and it works out this way. Basically, every time I add and fill a rig, I just save a 1000 bucks on a year new model. That's, yeah, it's it's that simple. It's that simple. Because I'm yeah. not paying that two thousand dollars for that that uh, that that. Actually, I'm saving two grand really when it comes to that. No, I'm not because I'm still buying the GPUs right because they they come with the, the pack. But it would be to fill two GPUs under this model would cost me uh, eight thousand dollars, and to fill one under the two under the old model would cost me nine. So it's 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 a grand every time I fill out a a, a a rig that I've put back in my pocket that I can reinvest to do more. Well, you can also look at it as if you bought a a two thousand dollar starter kit and then you add on four GPUs, that's four times six, so that's twenty four hundred. Yeah. So you're at forty four hundred for the first rig. Yeah. If you bought six more GPUs. Yep. They're only six hundred dollars a piece. So thirty six hundred. Thirty six hundred. Yep. So you're saving eight hundred bucks every time. And that 800 bucks is basically my cost of all the equipment that goes into this. Oh, you're not even talking about the second one. You're talking about just filling the first one. Yeah. Yeah, just filling yeah. the first one, you're saving 800 bucks. Absolutely. That's I that, mean, that's one and a half GPUs for free, I guess, is the way to look at it. So just keep multiplying this out over over time. It's going to be a lot of savings, for especially for those of you, because, again, it's economy of scale, right? My, my costs are going to go down the more people I have doing this. So I want more people to upgrade. And I want more people to buy GPUs, and and I want everybody to to do that. So, um, I, and and you know, hopefully, you guys will, will find that it's providing enough value to you that that you want to do it. Well, definitely, man. We are at like an hour forty almost here, so I want to kind of wrap up. Um, okay. And I appreciate you coming on the air. And I wanted to do this for people because I'm getting so many questions about it. And I wanted people to get to know who you are and understand where you're coming from, why I'm working with you, etc. Um, but like, as we said, the launch date is going to be the 24th. Um, I am not an owner in this. I am not a, a, a legal partner, I guess. I'm a partner in, in, in the, the, the effort, but as an affiliate. So on that note, folks, I am um, going to put out a post uh, when this thing opens at the exact minute, which, again, what time are we going to do that, Ben? Noon Central. Noon Central time on the 24th. Uh, and I would appreciate it if you heard about this thing for me that you'll go through my link. And if somehow you end up signing up and not, if you tell Ben, I mean, that's like just to tell you guys how, how trustworthy Ben is, is he's already paid me affiliate commissions on some of these test customers that came to him that I didn't even know about, right? Because they're just people that, you know, the, 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 yeah, how'd you find out? Well, Jack, okay, well, that's Jack's affiliate commission. And like, that's the kind of trustworthiness you're dealing with here, here guys. And like, I, I would not. I mean, Charles, I probably would have actually known, but some of these other people, I would have never known. And and that's that's trustworthiness. That's why I work with Ben, man. So, dude, thanks thanks for putting this together, and thanks for taking time this morning to come be on the air with us. Yeah, thank you, everybody. And Jack, we'll test out that affiliate link sometime this week to make okay. sure that that's all working for you. Cool, man. Again, I appreciate you being with us today, Ben. All right, thanks. So I hope you really enjoyed that interview with Ben. I know I always have a good time talking to Ben. Um, you know, we could sit around and talk about business in general for a couple hours at a shot just because of the history we have together and because we both tend to bring up things the other one 
overlooks or doesn't consider, and it's it's been a great partnership, and I, I I'm really uh, pleased to be able to kind of go on to the to something new working with Ben, and again, it'll be the 24th. I will send out an email, you know, like five minutes before the launch, and uh, we'll have an affiliate link in there so I can get credit for referring you if you become Ben's customer. I'd appreciate that. Um, and if you do end up somehow signing up, going directly or something like that, just send him an email or something. I'm, I'll t I'm not even worried about it. I know he'll he'll take care of uh, crediting me for anybody who is uh, referred uh, from my audience. He's just, you know, a stand-up guy. Anyway, another way you can help out the show is simply by doing your online shopping through tspaz.com. All you got to do is go to T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Whenever you're going to do some online shopping, you can get on over to Amazon from there, and anything you buy can and will help the survival podcast and the work we do. And you can see all my reviews. My review that I have for you today is an item I brought back because I have more information about it now. And I've actually put out several different uh, outdoor lighting solutions from this company. It's called Litum, L-I-T-O-M. Uh, these are the smallest lights they make that are individual lights anyway. These are an 8-LED solar wireless security light. I like these things so much that my son started having some security concerns at his new house. Uh, and I got him some of these to put up around the house, out the front and the back, because just the fact that, you know, you come up into somebody's yard in the night and lights come on you tends to make bad guys think twice because they're looking for concealment. Uh, but there's a lot of other uses for them. I have some of the larger, uh, I think it's 22 LED ones, uh, out in the front of my house just for convenience sake. Just so when we pull the car and we can see and they work perfectly and we have one out by the gate so that when we're latching the gate at night, either leaving or coming the house, we can see. And they've been great for that and they've all worked really well. Of the smaller form factor with eight LEDs, I now have a total of 12 on the property. I use some for additional security for the ducks around their holding area because predators don't like when a light all of a sudden comes on and shines on them. And uh, the most recent thing I've done with them is I put four of them around my wood frame pond, and they just make it nice. And I have those set instead of motion detector. I have them set on the highlight section so they come on the brightest light, and they come on at dark. And they stay on until they run the battery to nothing. And they've been running like that now for four months. And they still work just fine. And I have not had to replace a battery in them yet, even running them basically into the dirt every day. And I've been up four or five o'clock in the morning sometimes and gone out there, and the damn things are still on. They're just that energy efficient. So they're probably not most of the time running the battery fully all the way down. So that's that's a good thing. Um And they're not getting that much sunlight where they are. They really aren't. They're kind of, I'm surprised they work. So they're they're very efficient little lights. And, uh, you know, they're doing double, triple duty for me there. One, I can see when I'm out there at night. Number two, uh, it just looks cool. And, and number three, that light comes on right down by the water's edge, and all the little bugs come down there and fly around the light, fall in the water, feed the fish. Uh, they're a pretty cool little light setup. Um, a lot of you guys have picked up various forms of the Lidlum Solar uh, Wireless Lights uh, this year since I've been recommending them. I can see them in the sales reports. And zero complaints. Uh, great reviews. Check these things out. Just had a guy comment that he set his up in Florida. He mounted them with the tape that comes with them instead of screws. And uh, they stood through Hurricane Irma and they're still there, still working. That's that's pretty badass. Again, they're made by a company called Litum, L-I-T-O-M, 
And uh, you can find out more by going to tspaz.com. And remember, every time you do that, and then do your shopping online, you help support the Survival Podcast and the work that we do. That brings us to our song of the day. Um, this is a band I never heard of before, with well, a song I never heard before. The band is called Art of Dying, and the song is called Best I Can. And if you if you hear any influences that make you think of a band uh, called uh, Three Days Grace, one of the one of the lead vocalists comes out of that group. And that's why I was like, oh, I kind of recognize that voice. Um, Best I Can's a it's an interesting song for me because basically. Um, It's, that's what it's about. It's doing the best you can under some pretty tough circumstances. And I think maybe that's important in music to occasionally have music like this because music's generally really, really inspiring, I think. Most of the stuff that's about actually continuing on or fighting or whatever is really, really inspirational, and it comes at it from a, a very victorious standpoint. Or it's really, really sad and everything sucks and it just is, right? The, con the, the like the true struggle when things are really going wrong without the triumph is is actually kind of rare in music. There's a lot of music about really struggling, but usually it ends with some sort of a triumph or some sort of a success. And this song, not so much. This song's about kind of like trying as hard as you can and still having a lot of stuff not go right. And I think that's important because that's the reality. That's the reality. Um, I've talked to you guys a lot over the years about the things that I've done to become successful and to get where I am. And that all sounds great when you're there, but it doesn't, doesn't seem so great when you're on the journey sometimes. But it's still worth doing. I think this is a good song with a great message and a pretty good sound. And uh, I think for many of you like me, you'll be like, That's music without John Adam picking these songs for us. I would have never heard. So with that, here's the band Art of Dying with Best I Can. With that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. to say, but there's no one listening. If we're alone, are we all together in that? I threw a penny in a well for wishing and prayed for all the things I think I'm missing. A little time is all
You know.